To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have on my friend Earl Stroll from Cutter Stabilizers. Uh, so this is a great podcast. Earl is super knowledgeable about archery and about setups. Uh, he owns and operates Cutter Stabilizer, uh, but he also has a ton of experience. Uh, he was worked in the bow shop. I think he continues to work in the bow shop and, and just so much experience fine-tuning his setup. So that's what today's podcast is all about. Uh, we go in-depth on a killer archery setup. We talk about all the different accessories, all the different components, the arrow builds, just exactly what we're using and our theories on things as we talk about uh, archery and western hunting. So just made for a, for a great podcast. You guys are really going to enjoy it. I know I did. And thanks so much to Earl for his support of the podcast. So this podcast is brought to you by Cutter Stabilizers. I uh, just got uh, the new bars. I got a new 15, a new 10. I got the new weights. Uh, I got the new bracket. So Earl has designed a sidebar bracket and everything he does, he puts so much time and effort and testing into these products. So I know he's been working on this bracket. I think it's been for about a year and a half or so, and he's got this thing dialed in. So uh, make sure to check out all their products. Uh, these stabilizers really help the reaction of the bow, really help the hold. And uh, I know they just make me deadly in the mountains, and I trust my hunts to them. So uh, now's the time to be messing around with different weights on your setup, different holds. Get that thing so fine-tuned so when hunting season gets here, uh, you're ready for that shot of a lifetime. So thanks again to Earl and Cutter Stabilizers. I also want to thank Vector Custom Arrows. I've been messing around with these Vector Arrows for the last few months, and I'm really impressed uh, by the groups I'm getting with them and and by the components and the craftsmanship of these arrows. So I'm going to be using these this hunting season. In fact, my new hunting arrows are in route to me right now. Can't wait to get my hands on them. Uh, but I'm really impressed. They've got a couple different arrow shafts that they're using. They have their HMR, which comes in as a heavy arrow. Great for penetration. Great, great for quieting down your setup. Great for elk. Uh, my arrows, when I built them up, came in at about 525 with these arrows. Uh, and then they also have their ZMR, which is their new Western hunting arrow. Uh, so I really like the combination of good weight for penetration, but also uh, uh, lighter weight so I get good range forgiveness out at range. And so these are the perfect mix. I really like my arrows around 450 grains is kind of uh, my favorite number for my setup. These ZMRs came in right at that 450 mark. So uh, great Western Arrow. I really like their components. Their front-end component is an outsert, and then it's got a ballistic sleeve that sits over there that really protects that, that uh, marry between the insert and the shaft. Uh, it's really well thought out. Uh, great consistent knocks. I like their fletchings. I like the back cut on their fletchings, so they're a smaller 2-inch fletching. Uh, they're four-fletched with a helical on them, and then the back cut of that fletching makes for really quiet flight. And the craftsmanship, the way they put these arrows together, they really hold up. So uh, I'm impressed by them. You can check them out at Vector Arrows. 
and um, put in all your specifics and uh, they'll run the calculations for you make sure that your shaft stiffness matches up to your archery setup so they're going to fly really good and, and I'm just impressed by uh, their consistent arrow weight of all these arrows. I'm impressed by their uh, their straightness of their shafts. They're just a, a well-built shaft. And then once you put in all your specifics of your arrow, you can just call them up or email them and have some more sent out to you. So um, super impressed by these. Can't wait to get these new hunting arrows. If you're in the market for some new arrows this year, make sure to check out Vector Custom Arrows. And with that, um, just keeping busy with everything here. Uh, getting my apps in, keeping busy with Eastman's, got some new videos that are going to be dropping here. Uh, probably in the next month or so, we'll have some out. Uh, but I'm really excited to see some of these edits from last season as I had just had some epic hunts. So uh, you can check that out on Eastman's Beyond the Grid, which is on uh, YouTube. You can search Eastman's Hunting TV or Beyond the Grid, and that'll pop up. You can also check us out on the Outdoor Channel. Set your DVR. There's episodes that come out there. Uh, Eastman's Hunting TV, and then um, check out everything we're doing. Check out the magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. Uh, I've had a couple articles in the last couple issues I've been real proud of, and uh, I'm sure I'll have some new projects coming my way for this coming year. You can put in the promo code East Elevated 321 That'll get you both magazines for $50 and an outdoor edge knife. Um, also check out Tag Hub, our internet research tool, as we're all studying up on the West to figure out which tags to apply for. So uh, with that, this is a great podcast with Earl. He's so knowledgeable about archery setups, and I love diving deep down the rabbit hole of, of archery setups and, and tuning and components and trying to make all those right decisions uh, so I just have this connection with this bow, and definitely this year's bow, that V3X, the new cutter stabilizers, these vector arrows, like the thing's going to be a killer setup for me. I'm so pumped. And uh, it all starts off here uh, in bear season, which opens April 15th to June 15th. Uh, I've got a good early spot in this um, giant uh, location I'm going. It's like this giant canyon that I'm going that's pretty good early, and uh, it's an adventure. It's um, bring my raft. I've got to cross the river there if I see any bears. Uh, it, it's just a, a, a really challenging, fun spot that uh, takes takes everything from me. Like uh, I'm training for it right now so I can cross that canyon, make some plays over on that steep side. So super pumped for that. And uh, just pumped for the, the whole bear season in general to get back out and be walking around with that bow. So um, pumped for that. I got I do have a trip that's going to be coming up. Uh, going to make a trip over to Hawaii to um, chase some of those axis deer. So looking forward to that as well. And just trying to get some, some tags and some adventures lined up for this hunting season. Uh, it's going to be awesome. So um, with that, let's get into this podcast. It's a great one. Earl Stroll from Cutter Stabilizers. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. That's good. Yeah, you're crystal clear. Cool. Yeah, I just got these new headphones, and they're like the big over-the-ear ones. They're pretty snazzy. Gosh, like a professional over there. Seriously. <laughs> well, good, dude. Um, uh, happy to connect with you. Like, uh, How are things over at Cutter? Things are good. Things are busy. We're just got some got some cool stuff going on. Just finally got our bracket released, and uh, we're getting geared up for season here and ready to get on some some cool adventures again. 
Yeah, the um, sidebar bracket. Man, um, like I have one of the earlier models, uh, but the newer model looks so streamlined and just like everything you do. Like, uh, man, you put a bunch of time into developing that thing to come out with a bomb-proof bracket, right? No, oh, it's been it's been a little bit under two years. Um, we've got a thousand days of infield testing between everybody that's used it, so we weren't we weren't screwing around with this thing. Man, I'd say um, awesome. Well, yeah, I can't wait to get that new one in my hands, and then um, man, it's just the the bars in general. Um, man, I'm just loving them. Just great products, and it really seems like you're taking like a really good market share just due from building great products. But now I'm seeing guys with cutter stabilizers everywhere, and looks like the go to stabilizer man you got to be pumped yeah i am i'm super excited about it and you know that was kind of the the intention when we started this thing is to to let that passion show through into a superior product and i mean keeping it all within the u.s as far as manufacturing and materials was something that's important and that's never going to change you know we're not making a ton of money off of this thing it's it's just to provide a product that guys that really care about what they're doing out there as far as their bow hunting endeavors go to have something they can count on and to help them shoot better. That's kind of the goal. And, um, that's it. Well, and you're just like, uh, you're, you're, you're one of us, like you're a do it yourself, public land hunter, all self-guided stuff. Like in, and this just grew out of your passion for bow hunting and you've been working a second job the whole time since you started cutter. Uh, but it, but it's always, uh, been a priority to you and and two you've just gone about it the right way in designing this stuff and like you say field testing and research and development to really build a superior product but man it's just so great to see you uh succeed like as a person and as a company you know with these products and um you know as conglomerates tend to buy up companies and then they they just don't put out the superior product there's like this generation of do-it-yourselfers or garage builders that that start and say hey i can build something better for this or i see a need for this in the industry and it's just like a average everyday guy that comes up with this idea puts all the the research development i know you've reinvested about everything you've made back in the company just to build these quality products but i love to see these companies succeed man so i'm just so happy for you and cutter and uh, uh everybody involved over there yeah i appreciate it brian that's that's kind of the the idea you know i mean i'm maybe someday i'll won't have to be diy over the counter anymore but for now i'm gonna keep doing it and it's fun man you know that's that's the ultimate proving grounds is is out there on that public ground where you got to do it all yourself and you got to hunt hard and there's not a bunch of giant animals running around so that's that's still the plan and you know like you said i've started from from nothing and you know put in that sweat equity and all that time and long nights and early mornings and lots of caffeine to get this thing to where it's at now man it's awesome well yeah um how was your season i know you'd love to chase antelope spot and stock with your bow and then uh also you get after those elk quite a bit uh how was your season oh it was it was pretty rough if i'm being honest uh i hunted 25 days here in colorado came out blank no no tags filled so it was it was one of those tough ones started off with antelope i found a a really good buck um nicknamed him twister he was 
is probably a you know high 70s low 80s in an over-the-counter unit here in Colorado so I spent a lot of time trying to get on him and had him patterned pretty good and had him inside 100 yards a couple times and inside of 40 yards one time and just unfortunately couldn't get a shot Man, is there anything tougher than spotting and stalking antelope? Like, it's such a high degree of difficulty, and especially when you choose one buck, like one big mature buck. Uh, uh, that That's a tough endeavor, isn't it? It can be humbling. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's, you know, I had him, had him bedded, spotted him from really, really far away, and, you know, used the vehicle to get to within a mile or so, and then walked in and crawled in and, he was at, uh, I think he was at like 158 bedded or something away. <clears throat> and I was just laying on my stomach, you know, waiting for him to do something. And all of a sudden he jumps up and stands up. I'm like, oh, did he see? So, I, you know, pull up the binos and there's a coyote that's coming in, you know, jumped him up. So he runs out to 130, kind of ran towards me. So I just, you know, dial, set my sight. You never know. So I set it for there. Um, coyote ran past me at like 15 yards and then caught my wind. And I've never seen an animal run so fast. But the coyote busted out and then the antelope started walking towards me. And, uh, you know, my sight's still set to whatever he was at, you know, 131 or something. So <clears throat> I'm on my side, kind of doing like a side plank with my bow in my left hand. And he keeps walking in, keeps walking in, keeps walking in. I'm just like, when am I going to get to shoot? I'm in grass that's high right now. I'm just kind of laying there like, I know he's going to see me. It's just a matter of when. So he ended up getting into like 41 yards or something like that. And I, I couldn't get my, couldn't get up to the shooting position. You know, that's one of the toughest things with antelope is when that cover so limited to make that transition from stalking to shooting position that's it's a difficult thing to do oh dude you're so right isn't it like um man it is um everything's tough like all movement like animals really key in on that movement and it seems like antelope will see you laying there too or see in the grass or pick out your profile but you're right getting into range is only half the equation the other half is like getting a shot getting to your knees getting you know it's always nice when you can set up on your knees when they're coming in but that situation like the way you were sneaking up and the coyote came in and now all of a sudden that buck's coming in and you're not to your knees uh but yeah that can be a stock killer for sure like getting into range is one thing getting a shot's a whole nother thing yeah totally yeah so that was <clears throat> I, I watched that buck he'll let you get into that 180 200 mark you know however often you want but uh that's not archery range unfortunately so uh such is life and that kind of brought antelope season to a close you know i'm <clears throat> i'm kind of curious if he made it through rifle season because where he there's about two spots that you could see him from any road otherwise you had to get into you know kind of the just the, the backcountry type stuff, if you can call it that, for an antelope unit. But I'd be curious to see if, if he's still alive in there. Yeah, no doubt. It would be interesting to see if he made it. And if he made it another year, oh, my gosh, that thing may blow your mind next year. 
He's going to be a tank. He's going to be a tank. Yeah. I mean, I just, I've got this picture of him when he was bedded out in that flat and he looks like an alien out there. Just these giant horns sticking up out of the grass. And one of his, one of his horns came over and crossed, crossed his other one. So he just, he's just a really cool buck. Man, that's super cool. Yeah. Um, Man, they sure are fun to chase around. And some years, I'm not sure if they're the most challenging species I hunt, you know. It, and it'd be really tough. Like, I don't have one. About mid-70s is my highest antelope, that I highest scoring antelope that I've killed. And usually, I just hold that. I'm like, if he's 70 inches and a good mature one, I'll make a play. Because I know it's really tough to get it done in one stock or two stocks. Like a lot of times I need some chances on those things. I need some chances to make mistakes oh, and yeah. make something happen. Well, that was, that was kind of a new thing for me this year is, you know, normally I'm in these super low point units or even over the counter units where if it's got horns, you should probably shoot it. Um, so stalking and chasing this one single buck, you know, it was, it was difficult and I, I would see other bucks, but just knowing that 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 big guy was out there, it was tough to go after anything else. <laughs> yeah, uh, it does. Like uh, whenever you know, I, I enjoy hunting and I enjoy getting close. And usually, I set a line for an animal that I'm happy with. Um, but that all changes once I can find a giant. Like if I can find a giant antelope or find a giant bull or a, a giant buck, uh, all of a sudden it's like, well, I really want to put all my effort into this buck and see if I can kill him because I know it's possible. You know, I know he's here. So uh, that'll definitely make me uh, uh, pickier or choosier on a hunt is when I do find a giant and there's a chance to kill him. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I just, the season came to a close for antelope and I just couldn't have pulled it together on that buck. And then, um, you know, I had deer tag and an elk tag for Colorado as well for archery. So I was, I was spread a little bit thin, I think, especially after I spent so much time chasing that antelope, but that seems to be a reoccurring theme for me is spending too much time antelope hunting. Well, yeah, uh, that's your logo for Cutter. You have, um, I'm constantly wearing it. You got me a shirt and a hat, and uh, I love your antelope logo for Cutter. So, yeah, uh, making it your logo, it, it does seem like you are addicted to chasing those things around with a bow. Oh, you still got me there, Earl? Did it cut off? Hello? Hello? Uh-oh. I think I lost you. There you go. Yeah, yeah, I got you now. I'll there? just Yeah, I'll just edit oh, this out. Are... Yeah, uh, sorry about that, Earl. <clears throat> I could hear you the whole time. Um, yeah, I've got this new internet, Elon Musk's uh, satellite system or whatever, and um, I, I, it's lately, like the last few days, it's been a little on and off, so I'm not sure what's going on. Oh. No, I was getting what you were saying, but it was like one word every second. <clears throat> like I know he talks faster than that. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it slowed it all down for you or something, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, if we uh, have a problem, we can stop at any point. And I can call you on your cell phone too if we have an issue. Um, yeah, your your audio's been coming through pretty clear. Uh, but yeah, if we have any issues, just stop me and we'll we'll go from there. 
Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Um, um, where are we at? We're talking about the shirt and the logo and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the logo is awesome. So yeah, it can definitely tell you're addicted to hunting pronghorns. Yeah. That's, I still, that logo gets me jazzed up still. That's, that's probably one of my favorite things about the company is that, that logo. Yeah. It's super cool. Um, but yeah, it does. Um, it will cut us short. Like uh, our time out west is having uh, so many tags and having all those seasons fall into place. You know, in the fall, um, it spreads us a little thin. You know, it's it's um, it's tough because you really want to put your emphasis or your effort into a species, and uh, it's easy to run out of time on that thing. Yeah, and I had a kind of a, a unique struggle that I've. I haven't really had before is it was difficult for me to to let go of the work and just hunt you know with with this business growing how it has been it, it was it was tough for me to to not see the emails the orders coming through and you know i'm doing this primarily by myself so it was it was tough for me to let go so i had to had to really focus on that and just prioritize my time when i was out there hunting in order to to just do one thing, you know what I mean? Instead of, well, this is going on back at home and this, I need to do this and this and this and this. I had to remember that hunting seasonally comes around, you know, once a year and I had to make the most of what I was doing at that moment. So that was a relatively new struggle that I hadn't really had to deal with before. Yeah, I think it's a common struggle too, Earl. Like, um, you know, I I know even myself, you know, I struggle with it at times. It's like when you're a responsible adult and, uh, you know, you 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 have these um uh, responsibilities at the workplace. It's tough to turn that off sometimes, you know. And so, uh, I struggle with it too. I've gotten better over the years at um still taking care of everything I need to take care of, but then you know, being present in the moment when I'm on the hunt and being focused on the hunt, but, uh, it doesn't come without work. Like, I think it's something we all just have to work on. Uh, and it sounds like you kind of came to grips to it in the season, like your business and building this thing has been number one to you. It's like this dream or this passion of yours. And so it's, it's tough to shut that off and be hunting and be out of reception or out of emails or whatever. Uh, but it sounds like you kind of came to grips with it and, um, uh, found a little peace during season anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I think I did, did pretty well. And it took a while if I'm being honest, you know, I was, I was finding myself looking for places to camp that had phone service. And eventually I was just like, why are you doing this? Like, <clears throat> just take a couple days. Who cares if you don't have the service? Like it's, it's hunting season. You know, the people will understand if you don't answer their email right away. Like, you know, so it was, it was a process to get to that point if I'm being honest, but I think moving forward, I'll be able to to be a little bit more successful in that regard and, you know, bringing on some some new people this year. Like um, I think you had him on your podcast, Justice Nielsen. He's coming on. We work together at uh, at the bow shop and he's coming on to help me with a lot of this stuff. And he's been really helpful and it's cool to to have a little bit of help. Yeah, he's that uh, younger generation, but really knowledgeable in archery. Uh, I really like that guy. I try to keep in 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 contact with him. In fact, I think I heard he's going on an Audad hunt here in the next couple yep. Of days. Yep. Yeah, he's heading down to New Mexico with our buddy Braden here in a little bit uh, to try to shoot an Audad with his bow. So he's he's pretty stoked. He's got his new bow all dialed in, and <clears throat> yeah, it's it's a tough hunt from what I've heard. They don't. 
it's like antelope in the cliffs, basically. So <clears throat> should be fun. I've heard that, too. I really want to go hunt them. So I'm in some applications this year. We'll see if I can draw a tag and get down there. I had a connection in Texas for a while, but, uh, yeah, it uh, didn't work out to make that come together. But, um, yeah, I really like uh, uh, Justice and then um, Braden, too, uh, that he's going with. I, I really like that guy as well. And so you've made these connections or these friends, um, and this is through the bow shop. So this is your second job is uh, working on bows or working in the – uh, in the bow shop and uh, setting up these bows, you you learn a lot through that experience. And then just hanging out with good shooters like that, uh, you just soak in knowledge, don't you? Oh, for sure. And the shop that I'm at, it's uh, No Limits Archery, so it's arguably one of the biggest shops in the in the Western U.S. So we see a lot of people, whether they're they're passing through or you know local guys or whatever it may be. So just that volume of seeing different setups, hearing all these different stories, you know, we got some, we got some killers that roll through that shop and um, just hearing all the different experiences and what people are using as far as bow setups and arrow setups and all that, that good stuff. It, it gives you a very wide metric on what's working and what's not. So it's, it's super useful and to be able to apply that stuff to your personal setup where you're getting, you know, I know you hunt a lot every year. I know I try to hunt as much as I can. So just that field time and, and figuring out what works and what doesn't, there's there's not a better way to do that than, you know, I'd say a combined effort between field testing and, and other people that are getting a lot of field testing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that bow setup is so crucial to uh, consistent success. It's like spending the time each and every year getting that bow set up right. And then, you know, the right accessories, like they really make a huge difference. And uh, like like the bows uh, nowadays, they will shoot good, but every bow has a personality too, like a, a, a way that it likes to be set up, an arrow that it gets along with. Like it seems like you have to kind of work through those things with a bow to get a really good shooting bow with ultimate confidence in and – and two, like I, that's where your stabilizers are really catching on. Like guys are figuring out, uh, you know, that they can shoot longer stabilizers. Uh, they can shoot the right amount of weight. They can shoot sidebars, and their bow's going to hold way better. And uh, also, they can affect the reaction of the bow. And so, it's one of those things that's it's an easy way to fine tune your bow and get way more accuracy out of it just by adding weight and bars. And it really seems like it's catching on nowadays. Are you seeing most guys that come into the shop, uh, are they spending time with their stabilizers now and their weights and uh, really getting their bow to shoot good? Oh yeah, for sure. And um, I think a thing that's been beneficial that, that helps a lot of people out is um, we as in cutter have a, little display with all of our sizes for people to try and use while they're at the range. Um, so having the option to, to actually test and see different lengths with different weights and what they feel like on their bow. Um, I think that's super beneficial, but, um, yeah, I mean, the, the back bar setups have grown in popularity really quickly and it's for good reason. You know, for a long time there was this, <clears throat> I don't know where it came from, but this, idea that having a back bar on your bow would make it impossible to carry through the woods or something i don't know i don't know but um yeah I, i'll never hunt with without a dual stabilizer setup again and this the, the benefits just greatly outweigh the downside you know there's in my opinion there is no downside to it no um 
Yeah, I've been shooting a back bar from a lo- for a long time because once you try it and you feel how good the aim improves on the bow and how it slows the aim down, you just never go back. And so, yeah, I mean, um, I run a 12 on the back and a 15 out front, and I'm really scared to try your 20 because I think I might like it uh, <laughs> and might have to go to it. Did you hunt with the 20 at all this year? I hunted with a 15. was the longest bar that I i uh, hunted with but i've got a my new bow for this year has got a 20 and a 12 on it so we'll see it's it's not to where i want it to be yet as far as me being familiar with it i'll probably still end up going back to the bow that i hunted with last year but uh there's there's still time yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, there is time, but yeah, just um, it it helps the the hold of the bow so well, and then um, just the reaction too. I know if I'm getting you know uh, low misses, I can change my weight setup a little bit on those stabilizers, and you know I do. A heavy bow always shoots better than a lighter bow, and so I I'm of the school that it's my money maker that every hunt's gonna come or every successful hunt's gonna come down to making a shot, and so I'll pack a little bit more weight, and I'm not crazy. I add like about a pound of weight to my bow. I'm six out front, ten in the back. But the other thing I notice with these stabilizers is that you can balance the weight on your bow. So all of a sudden, when I'm carrying my bow around the mountains. It's not tippy in my hand. It's perfectly balanced in my hand carrying it and when I'm shooting it. So I'd rather have a pound of extra weight on my bow but have it be balanced in my hand than trying to pull out of my hand. Do you find that with your stabilizers as well? Yeah, definitely. And that's that's kind of – there's two things that factor into making the weight more effective so we need less of it that we've kind of – built these stabilizers to do you know obviously the mass weight of the bar itself is so low that any weight you put on the end is going to be more noticeable the second part is that since our weights are at a smaller diameter it makes them a little bit thicker so running a six ounce weight stack is is going to add about an inch and three quarters of length to your bar so you might not need to use as much weight you know lever length is is essentially what we're trying to play with here so by increasing the length of that lever we're increasing the efficiency of the weight at the end of the bar so if that does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah, it makes absolute sense. No, um, yeah, I see exactly what you're saying. Is um, uh, the using your bars, they're going to be more effective with less weight. Correct. Yep. So I mean, we take something that weighs a lot and then put weight on the end of it. You know, it's not going to be as effective as, you know, like our 15 inch bar. I think is like just a hair over three ounces of mass weight. So it's you know for what you're what you're adding to your bow. Um, it's super light. I mean, obviously, the, the small diameter carbon or just under a half inch is is going to do really well in the wind and um, keep that weight where you want it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, what else are you seeing as you go through these bow setups or what do you have on your personal bow or what have you kind of settled on? So uh, what do you like to use for a sight? Are you using a single pin mover, multi pin mover? Uh, what do you like? I like a multi pin mover pretty much i've got three different manufacturers on three different bows right now so i'm not super brand specific as far as what i like um <clears throat> i think they all have benefits and i think they all have downsides i'd say as far as like pin brightness goes black gold is probably going to be the brightest uh durability spot hog and then adjustability is excel and those are kind of the three that that i use um, i've actually got on my whitetail bow i've got an excel 
carbon dovetail with a spot hog double pin scope and that's been that's been really cool you know you get a, a nice clean sight picture with those two vertical pins um as well as the adjustability to to keep it you know all your axes to sight in you got you know really really precise micro adjustments for even your axes as well as your your elevation and windage so that um that's been kind of a cool setup the black gold i just i have a three pin slider and uh that's that's primarily on my western rig and then the new bow that i'm setting up this year i, I got one of those landslides to play with and i got an ultra view scope with the two vertical pins on it so i've never used the ultra view scopes before so i wanted to, to kind of give it a go and and see what what all the craziness is about there but uh, so far i mean just i literally put it on my bow yesterday so i don't have a lot to go off of there but the pin brightness seems good and i did go with the smaller diameter housing so it's a 31 millimeter housing so i'm kind of curious to see how that does in in low light oh interesting yeah so you can go with a little bit smaller peak now um I'm not familiar with the with the scope lenses. Can uh, you explain that to me, Earl? What is the craze with the new lenses? I must be out of the loop. So the the idea behind that UltraView housing is is you have these cartridges basically, and you can swap it out for if you're if you want to use it for 3D. They have a cartridge with a you know a single fiber, or you can do the little sticker, um, or their their hunting cartridge is it's essentially a, a vertical pin with two fibers in it. So you've got, you know, two points of reference at all times. And on that landslide, you have the dual indicators. So I should probably end up with a top pin at 20 and the speed that I'm shooting that bottom pin is probably going to be 42 ish. So I should have, you know, pretty good range of, of yardages for everything. And that ultra view scope, is that just like a clear lens or is it a magnifier or what is it? No, it's, it's, that's a scope housing it's a 31 millimeter scope housing that that has a it's basically you know it's it's got the pin in it it's got a level in it uh no magnification i don't think i would do magnification for hunting just because there's plenty of things that you know could get in there and, and make it difficult to see if it, if it rains if it's you got sticks or leaves or anything that falls in there so it's it's non-magnified it's, it's just a normal um site housing basically Huh, interesting. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen that. I'll have to check that out. Uh, there is a bunch of good options out there. I, I do like like the, the multi-pin slider, and the multi-pins just allow me for a quick shot. The majority of time, 80-90%, I'm dialing to the exact range because I love to hold a pin exactly where I want it to hit. And that's, you know, whether he's 43 or whether... You know, he's 55 or whatever it is. I love dialing to that. So I shoot the five-pin mover. Uh, you know, the, the bottom pin is my mover, so I have 20 through 60 and then can dial wherever I want. I like the multi-pin sliders, too, because, like, I've got a 10-yard, you know, I've got a pin right above that's 10 yards. So if that animal's moving after I draw back, I can kind of guesstimate where he's at. And I don't do too much of that quick shooting, but, like, on antelope or, like, on elk, things can happen quick. And so I like to be prepared. I see why guys shoot the single pin because everything's center, 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 but I don't really have a problem lining up my peep and my sight housing. Like, that seems to come pretty natural to me, uh, but I do see why guys use the single pin just for a really clean sight picture. And then, like, 
what you're talking about, the two pins, the the uh, vertical pin with one that's your main, and then you have another one, so you kind of get the best of all those worlds. I also like having my moving pin low in my housing so I can get more yardage out of my setup because if it is in the middle – uh, then my arrow fletchings will start to hit my housing sooner than if that bottom pin's a mover. And I'm always trying to get as much distance out of it, not for shots on critters, but, you know, for finish-up shots, for practice, uh, to be able to hold a pin on a target and shoot those ultra-long ranges. Uh, they really, like, uh, highlight your form and really improve my form and improve my hold at closer distances. So I'm always trying to get max distance out of it as well. Uh, are those things that you're considering when you're setting up a site, all those as well? Oh, definitely, yeah. And I, I'd i say the, t- the site that I've spent the most time with as far as hunting is, uh, is that three-pin black gold. So I've actually got two indicator needles on there. So I've got it set for my top pin and my bottom pin, so I know what those two are at. And it's, it's a little bit easier to guess where that middle pin is, <clears throat> you know, especially as you get out to further distances. You know, generally the speed is it's not linear so as you as you go get farther out you you might have you know an, an eight yard a nine yard gap between pins instead of a 10 yard and at, at 80 yards let's say that you know that's potentially you know eight nine inches of drop which is you know out of the vitals in most instances on on game animals so that's knowing where those pins are at and having a little bit more precise range of knowledge i guess you could say as to where your pins are set just by having those two indicators on there that's uh that's been really really useful for me oh that's smart earl yeah to have those two indicator pins so you always know that exact distance where yeah you're taking it a little bit further than me because i'm 20 to 60 in home and then my 60 pins my mover but you're right as i get way out there in range all of a sudden that top reference pin isn't as accurate because it is a uh, a moving scale or whatever so that makes good sense are you uh are you using a uh, i use a 3 16th peep what size are you using and and what size are most guys using now the most important thing for me is that my peep matches my housing in most light conditions uh what things are you considering and what are you seeing around the shop yeah 3 16 is the most common the only time that you'll see the the larger sizes generally are um Guys that are using the the larger rings on uh, on the spot hogs stuff, or um, you know some of the guys that have really really long draw lengths, they need um, a little bit smaller size just to get it to match up with that housing. But um, three sixteenths is the most common for sure. Uh, I'm using one of the Hamsky Raptor peeps. Uh, it's a little bit larger peep in general, but uh, it's got these little baffles inside that uh, that help get rid of excess light and glare if you're shooting with the sun in your face or at your back and those are really really cool to use once you get your strings settled in because since they are a little bit more oblong than a normal peep if they're turned a little bit it's it's a lot tougher to see out of them so you got to make sure that your your peep is installed properly and your strings are broken in properly yeah um that's one of my pet peeves is to have a you know to have a a peep that it doesn't rotate properly and you're right the strings have to be all stretched and broke in and it's something that you have to continue to monitor and get the right twist in your strings at the right places but it should you should like a uh, you should never have to fix your peep or twist your peep it should always stay true once you get it set but that's a big part of the setup i've got another question to ask you and i'm not sure if you can answer it uh i was thinking about this the other day 
Uh, my peep height usually ends up at five and seven eighths, five and thirteen somewhere, and that's from the center of my knock to the center of my peep. But I can shoot six inch and more. The deal with with that is the peep. It it really makes up your anchor. So it makes up uh, how you anchor your bow. But as you get to longer distances, that anchor will get looser because uh, you're rolling your sight down and it seems to gap more the way you have to look through your peep. And so it's tighter at closer distances and, and looser at farther distances. And so I try to find some middle ground. But I was trying to figure out does moving your peep up give you more distance on your uh, on your sight tape, or does moving it down give you more distance on your sight tape? I'm not sure if you can answer that. But. So generally moving your peep up will give you more distance, which is unfortunate because generally the higher it is, the more difficult it is to anchor at longer distances. Um, so kind of how I set my peep height is I cut my amount of travel on my tape. So let's say I've got – 100 yards on my sight tape right i'll set my peep height so it's perfect at 50 yards i'd much rather be jammed into it at 20 um than have to be floating around at 100 if that makes sense it makes complete sense that's the exact thing that i do as well as i i try to set it for about 50 60 and and have it be perfect and um it seems like i can shoot a little bit looser uh i can shoot i can still shoot that really good out there at those longer distances and like you say maybe i'm a little scrunched in at 20 30 yards or whatever but it's not that big a deal it seems to shoot for me so i'm the exact same way thanks for that tip on moving the peep up or down not that that'll make a difference in how i set up my bow but you know i can shoot upwards of a six inch pretty good so uh, you know, it, it's just another thing to factor in that I was thinking about the other night and I couldn't make sense of it. So that really helps me out. Thanks, Earl. Yeah, yeah, sure. There's, it's kind of funny. There's one of the guys at the shop, Jason, he, uh, he runs his peeps super high, but, um, he generally will get like 165 yards of travel out of his sights. He's, you know, he's got a long draw and shoots a, a relatively light arrow, but, um, you know, I'll always set up a bow and if the peep's too low, the peep's too low. It's like, no, I can't even see through the dang thing if it's any higher, Jason. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. It's like one of those things that you can you can get used to, I guess, you know, if you shoot like that all the time. But I'm with you. The anchor has to feel comfortable. And a good way to test that anchor is to draw back with your eyes closed, anchor, and then see where your peep ends up. You know, that'll kind of tell you where your comfort zone is or a trick that I use when I'm doing that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that should always be kind of your order of operations is find your anchor first and then find your peep. Shouldn't be, uh, you know, getting into that peep first, because if your peep is slightly different from your perfect anchor position, then your reference is out the window. So that's that's kind of part of my order of operations is, you know, anchor first, then acquire the peep. Um, that way you make sure that you're consistent every single time. Makes perfect sense. Uh, what are you liking for a rest? What are you using for um, rest and seeing around the shop? Um, we do a lot with the with the limb driven stuff out of the shop. We do the hamskies since you know they're also a Colorado company, um, and that's what I've used on my bow for shoot since I can remember. You know I've had I had the same rest on my bow for seven seasons, and you know took some falls and you know, just normal hunting, you know, wet, cold, all that stuff. And, and it held up really well for me. But, um, 
we have started to to do a little bit more with the the QAD stuff, and I mean it's it's personal preference, you know, it's it's all going to work. Uh, I like the limb driven because it's a little bit more forgiving as far as tuning goes, uh, um, and it's also you know since the the rest cord is attached to the limb itself, it's it's holding the arrow up for a little bit longer. So generally, you get a little bit more forgiveness out of out of a tune with those limb driven rests, and they're also easier to repair in the field. You know, you you run your limb driven cord into, or your sorry, your cable driven cord into your cable itself, and you happen to rip that thing out in the field, then um, you're kind of SOL unless you have a bow press. Or if you if you do want to run a, a cable driven rest, what I like to do is take the little football clamp that comes with it and keep that in your backpack so if you do happen to rip that out you can use that little football clamp out in the field and you're not totally totally up a creek if you do happen to rip that out so tie it in permanently the first time and then keep that football clamp as an emergency repair item for in the field oh that's a good idea yeah i should i should throw that football in there oh that's interesting i might have to go back and try a limb driven again i've I've been a cable driven guy and like i you know i haven't noticed too much with the difference of tune but it's interesting hearing you say that and would definitely try it and longer contact with the arrow you know if it's more forgiving in the tune it's going to be a more forgiving rest overall so i've been using that um hamsky's top of the heat man they make a great rest uh i've been using the qad and it hasn't let me down in five years of using it uh, you know in practice in the field uh just a great uh rest and i had problems with the rest quite a few years ago where i had the the oil in the rest got cold and then seized up the rest and i was shooting at a good six point bull and my rest didn't fall away and it was like a 40 yard chip shot in the snow with snow dripping off the trees it was last day of the season and i um my my arrow hit the dirt about halfway in between me and the bull and the oil had gotten stiff in that rest and uh it didn't fall away and i had been shooting it in the cold but it'd be like when I got home. So it had, the bow had been warm in my truck or warm in my garage, and then I walk outside and shoot it. And so that day it was well below zero, and it seized up on me. And so, like after, like the main thing is just to build trust in your rest. Your rest should never fail you throughout all your practice, throughout all your season. It should never give you a reason not to trust it, you know. And so. Uh, I do love those fallaway rests. That's interesting about the limb-driven. I may have to try that and mess around with it a little bit. I've been shooting a cable-driven, and I just make sure that my cable's set at the right length so I'm not pulling my cables or pulling my bow out of time. So uh, that's like one of the major things that I check. But i got to check out uh, those um, cable-driven again – or the um, – sorry, limb-driven again, uh, especially if you're seeing like a more forgiving tune come out of them. Yeah, and I mean, in all honesty, it's it's difficult to buy bad stuff nowadays if, if you're spending the money to get into that top-tier products. Um, you know, unfortunately for you, it sounds like if that was just in the cards, you know, some, some things you just can't can't prevent no matter how hard you try. And, you know, having good stuff is is the number one thing that we do have control over. So putting those good quality components on your bow is... It's about all you can do, but you know there is those times where it's just not in the cards, and it's you know it's it's meant to be type of thing, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the hunting gods were not with me that day <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it it is what it is, and yeah, you just um, build trust in in um, arrest through practice and repetition and repetition, and then also through season. But yeah, you're right. There's so many good products out there nowadays that you uh, it's easy to get uh, uh, products that you can build trust in, and there's a bunch of ones out there. So, uh, what are you guys using, or what are you using for a quiver have you i seen the the quiver lizers are getting really popular like a lot of guys are using that so they're using the weight of the quiver for the quiverizer or whatever um you know i just have i like fine-tuning my system i like like the cutter stabilizers so i can put change weight on my sidebar and on my front and just slapping weight down there uh it doesn't seem to do it for me so i i like a, a quiver uh it seems like the the um, disconnectable or one-piece quivers, I was getting such a rattle in my broadheads and in my arrows. There's so much vibration there. So I actually went to a two-piece uh, solid mounted quiver, uh, you know, and it really gets rid of a lot of vibration for me. And then I I always like to have as many arrows as I can fit into it. So mine's a six-arrow quiver, and I can actually get uh, eight arrows in there. I usually carry seven or so. Like, um, uh, you can't kill anything if you run out of ammo, and not yeah. that I plan on emptying my quiver, but three arrows is just not enough for me. So what are you using for a quiver, and what are you seeing around the shop? Yeah, I, that's interesting. You know, and I personally, I'm using a, a tight spot. I've used one for a long time, and... Uh, just the uh, the option to adjust the the grabbers for different arrows, you know, being in being in the shop, I have a lot of <clears throat> a lot of resources at my disposal to test a lot of different arrows. So going from a four mil to a five mil to a standard diameter to be able to adjust those grippers to to use one quiver to fit all of them in there and keep them secure and and tight in the quiver is is a, a nice benefit. Um, I actually took the um, the hood and I put some closed cell foam in it and um, that way I could put my broadheads into that kind of basically what I did was I, I screwed my broadhead into a soldering iron and stuck it into the foam so I have this exact match of, of my broadhead shape in the foam so they slide in nice and tight and and that got rid of that rattle for me nice that's smart Earl that's a really good tip uh, yeah, that rattle just kills me. Like if, and there's so much vibration through the bow, even the newer bows, you know, that it's it's tough to get rid of all of it. But I can't stand to hear any little vibrations. But that's really smart with the foam and what you did there. Sure. So uh, if I'm being honest, I'm taking my quiver off to sh to shoot at an animal 90% of the time. I just I feel like I shoot slightly better without a quiver on and i mean we're talking you know tens of a percent here but at the same time you know you might get one shot a season on an over-the-counter tag so I, I want everything to be at my disposal so i've got a little um i don't remember what they're called but it's like a rubber twisty tie basically that i keep keep wrapped around one uh leg of the quiver and i'll pop the quiver on and just take that twisty tie and run it through my belt loop to keep that quiver on my hip um you know, if I have to shoot with the quiver on, I'm fine with that. You know, that's what that's what our dual stabilizer setups are for is to help level that bow. But if I do have the chance to take it off, I'm going to take my quiver off to shoot at an animal. 
Hmm. Yeah, it's wild. There's like uh, more than one way to skin a cat, and it's uh, it, it's always interesting talking to somebody with other preferences, like taking their quiver off. I actually like the weight of all those arrows on my bow because I believe like a heavier bow shoots better than a lighter bow. So even when I'm shooting indoor or anything, I have my quiver on there full of arrows and full of weight. Uh, so I I did have a removable quiver, and I can see where it'd pay huge dividends or where it'd really be advantageous is like the windy conditions hunting antelope in the wind and longer shots pulling that quiver going to be able to hold that bow better but i just never did it i always had my quiver on 100 percent of the time when i was shooting uh and so like i just that's why i went to the two-piece and just said well i'm just going to leave that thing on and one of the things that that guys have to remember is you always got to have a follow-up arrow ready there's nothing worse than pulling your quiver shooting your arrow and something happens it ducks the string you miss it whatever and not having another arrow at the ready so i really like that point that you made that you do pull your quiver for most shots but then you attach it to your hip so you've got access to those arrows if you need a follow-up shot or uh get another shot or whatever the case yeah, for sure. Definitely do not just drop your quiver on the ground and then go chase after your animal because they'll find a way to make you need to shoot again. <laughs> yeah, man, that's the truth. Uh, well, right on. That like takes us through the bow pretty good. It's so fun to hear like your insight on it. So then um, what are you seeing like the – one of the number one questions I get is like arrows and broadhead combos. Like, uh, what do you got running for arrows and broadheads? Oh boy. Um, what kind of weights, so uh, what kind of fletchings and then broadhead, uh, and you were talking about, uh, the different mills and that's like the different diameter arrows. I always like those micro diameters, but I haven't got a chance to, to test those like or to shoot a season with those uh really skinny four mil uh kind of talk about arrows and what you're seeing in there at the shop yeah so i mean personally i've used i've used a little bit of everything i used a five mil arrow for a really long time and you know that's been been super effective for me you know the front end components are really durable if you use lighted knocks you have a lot of options there um obviously the smaller diameter is going to do better in the wind I don't personally believe that there's a benefit as far as penetration goes between standard and, and small and micro diameter arrows, but I think it's it's primarily going to be wind performance. So that's honestly that's enough for me to stay with a smaller diameter arrow. You don't um, see a difference in drag through an animal or a bigger hole, smaller hole because you're clearing that with the broadhead? Um, maybe, but not to an extent that I would spend more money on it for that reason, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Copy. But, um, yeah, I actually shot a, I shot a four mil arrow. Um, I was actually testing out some victory stuff. I was doing the the VAP TKOs, which is an arrow that I hadn't used before. And it's a carbon weave arrow. Um, pretty, pretty standard GPI. I think they're like 9.5 for a 300 spine. Um, cut to my length, my finished arrow weight is right around 440. So, it, you know, it's, it's kind of right in the middle of the pack. Um, I had, 
I like that Say weight, it. by the way, the 440. Yeah, for sure. That's just yep. been a go-to weight for me. And I've used everything from 400 to 500 to even 525s, but it just seems like I, I like to settle around that 440, 450. Seems to be like a good compromise between great penetration, uh, quiet for my bow, and then um, also range forgiveness. So I do like that weight. Definitely. Yep. And that's kind of when I'm attacking an arrow build, I put less emphasis on, on the weight of the arrow and put a little bit more emphasis on the speed that I want the bow to shoot. So I, I like to be anywhere between 280 and 300 as far as my arrow speed. So getting, getting it to hit that, there's only so many ways you can do it. Um, and it's generally at the, at my draw length and poundage, it's, it's going to be between, you know, four, four forty and four eighty. Um, depending on, on what I'm trying to do. You know, if, if I absolutely have to shoot fixed blades, then then I will go on the heavier side to slow that bow down a little bit. But uh, personally, I, I like to shoot a shoot a mechanical head if I, if I absolutely can. Um, you know, I uh, we went out to Texas last year and um, shooting hogs with a bow. Um, I had this shot. It was a 30-yard shot out of a tree stand at a 200 and 20 pound hog i ended up hitting it was obviously a perfect shot because the thing died in four seconds we got it on video but um complete pass through with a 435 grain arrow out of a 68 pound bow with a three three blade mechanical head um so you know pigs are notoriously tough to kill with with a archery tackle um, especially when they get into that larger set, larger size range. So just seeing what that that light arrow did with the mechanical, you know, if you put that arrow in the right spot, it's going to do what it's supposed to do. Um, so I personally put less emphasis on tinkering with my setup, and I put more emphasis on tinkering with my shot process, so I can put that arrow where I need to. Oh, it's so smart. Yeah, I definitely agree with your school of thought. I am all about accuracy and forgiveness. If I hit that thing in the middle, it dies. You know, lungs, heart, or liver. And so I want the most forgiving setup I can. And I, um, I, I do, you know, over the years, I definitely use a lot of expandables just because of their aerodynamics and they're so accurate in the air. And then, um, you know, you can get a, a bigger diameter to do more damage. But, you know, I do use fixed blade as well. I hunt a lot in Idaho where it's required. And then I'll have good luck with them and spend so much time dialing in my bow with them to get them to shoot for Idaho that a lot of times I'll use them uh, in other states or for other species uh, because I like the performance. And I get it. Like a fixed blade head, it doesn't have moving parts. It's another thing you don't have to worry about. You, If you hit them in the right spot, they're going to die. And so, like, I, I get the the fixed blade like um and, and then also you don't have to use energy to open the head so fixed blade tend to uh penetrate better than an expandable because you don't need energy to open them and those exit holes are so important and me only shooting a 26 and a half inch draw length like on elk i really want the penetration and so i'll go to a small diameter fixed blade and shoot those for elk um but i'll also kill elk with expandables and everything under the sun so i definitely agree with your school of thought i'm all about accuracy hitting them in the middle uh finding a, a forgiving accurate setup uh and, and those um those three blades that you're mentioning uh you know those are a good penetrating expandable uh and, and like for 
for uh, smaller animals, I almost want a bigger expandable to do more damage. Or like on a, a mule deer or something, if I don't hit in the perfect spot, I feel like an expandable gives me a better chance to recover that animal because it's got an inch and five-eighths cut going to do more damage. And especially like on bears, I love shooting a hybrid or a big expandable because that hair soaks up so much blood that they're notoriously – uh, have have bad blood trails and their lungs are also a third the size of a white tail uh, so you need the shot to be accurate but I find that those expandables uh, you use a hybrid so it's fixed one inch one way and then inch and five eighths the other way and bears aren't too tough to penetrate through and so I want to do as much damage going through that bear and create as big of a wound channel and as much blood loss as I can so I can track them down so there's a bit uh, of uh, strategic choosing when you're you know, when you when you're going on a hunt or choosing what you're going to hunt and and depending on that, I may change my broadhead setup from one thing to another that's going to perform better on those animals. And then just spending time with my broadheads, making sure they're going to shoot. Like, that's that's really the key for me. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. And I, I 100% am on board with the idea that not everyone should shoot a mechanical broadhead for everything. You know, there's, there's different applications that it, it just doesn't make sense. You know, shooting lower poundage, shooting shorter draw length. Um, you know, there's there's always going to be a penetration advantage to a fixed blade. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to think about what you're hunting. Like for example, we we do a lot of whitetail hunting. You know, it's kind of become a new love of mine. And if I'm being honest, I'm obsessed with whitetail hunting now. I, I never thought I would be. It's just it's a ton of fun. But you know, that being said, we're hunting on a lot of the times we're hunting on private ground that if that deer runs, makes it off of the ground that we're allowed to be on, then we can't always go retrieve that deer. You know what I mean? So getting that hole to be as big as possible and get that animal on the ground as fast as possible, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's a necessity. So I want to not only put that arrow exactly where it needs to be, but I want that, that animal to die as quickly as possible so I can actually go get it. Um, you know, not all the landowners are going to let you go get your animal if it happens to run onto their piece. And it's, it's unfortunate, but it is the truth. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a good point, Earl, and something to consider. And especially like, um, you know, hunting anywhere out West, we're hunting borders and you want that animal to go down quickly. In fact, you know, I had my, my a buddy of mine that was hunting the border of another state and um, had that deer cross into the other state, and there's no way you can just go down and get it. And it crossed into the other state onto private. And um, But he took the right steps and calling the landowner, couldn't get a hold of the landowner, calling the warden, getting a hold of the right channels. He was able to go recover his deer without any issues. Uh, but you're right. That is a primary concern. And I know hunting uh, along a lot of these big ranches, they're not as friendly – uh, as a small time place or, you know, it seems like some of these bigger places that deal with hunting pressure around their borders are less apt to let you go recover your animal. Uh, and you can put, um, you know, you can have the warden leverage them, but ultimately, ultimately it comes down to the landowner letting you retrieve that animal. And so it's just better to, uh, nip that in the bud right away and do a bunch of damage going in and have that thing drop in sight. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've used both, to be honest with you. I've used a lot of a lot of fixed blades. 
Um, definitely, I, pref- I would prefer a cut on contact. Um, it, it does get a little bit annoying to have to sharpen them, but I think the, the advantage is if you are going to go to a fixed blade to have that cut on contact and, you know, start cutting immediately, that's that's a benefit. You know, obviously the downside is if you practice with them, you do have to sharpen them before you go hunt with them. But uh, I think the bit, the benefit is is enough to, to swing it to go to that cut-on-contact head. That makes sense. Yeah, the cut-on-contact, uh, they do penetrate really good, and then you have more blade surface area, which is going to do more cutting going in. Um, so that makes sense to me as well. Sometimes I like a tip, or my argument for a tip would be like hard-angling shots that they don't deflect um, but most of those kind of on contact seem to um, pick a spot and dive in and not much deflection, but that would be my only argument against. Sure, totally. I mean, there's – like I was doing an arrow build for one of my good buddies uh, yesterday, actually. He's uh, he's going out to Africa to shoot Cape Buffalo. He's not going to be shooting an expandable broadhead, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but this this arrow said, I mean, it was fun to build, if I'm being honest. He's doing a 5 mil shaft with 420 grains up front. So it's going to be a 780 grain arrow. Wow, that's wild, man. That is a fun build. That's not a yeah. not a uh, arrow you'd want for antelope, but uh, no, probably that's... the perfect arrow for Cape Buffalo. Like I um... think that's about the only thing I would use that arrow for is Cape Buffalo. It's shooting a 200, <laughs> 200 grain broadhead and two hundred twenty grains of front end components. Um, it's just a they feel like comically heavy when I was just carrying them around the shop to to work on them. Like these things are this probably weighs five pounds holding all these arrows, right? Oh man, uh, yeah. I bet you get to see some cool things in that that shop, and um, yeah, how cool to get to build those arrows for them. I also like uh, as far as steering on arrows, just to kind of wrap up the conversation on arrows. Like um, uh, steering, it seems like uh, if you're shooting fixed blade you want to go with a little bit more steering in the back. And I can still get away with small fletchings. I can't get away with the micro fletchings. And I also like the forefletch. The forefletch to me gives my arrow more steering and and no more wind profile. So like a sideways wind on it, a three fletch and a four fletch is going to be the same profile of vein showing. So I feel like I get a benefit in steering out of it uh, without a, a, a getting more wind drift or something of that nature. And I do like steering. I like it uh, to get as much angle or helical as I can get on those fletchings. And I know it creates a little bit more wind drag and you can lose a little velocity, but I've noticed it's very little velocity that you lose as compared to the accuracy you gain, like getting the spin on that arrow, getting that arrow to stabilize or stabilize. Are you finding the same thing? Like expandables guys can get away with smaller fletchings, fixed blade should go with a little bigger fletching and I can still get away with the two inch and get good accuracy. Uh, but three inches even better for a fixed blade. Is that kind of what you're seeing and what you're finding with um, your own arrows? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's, you know, there's different ways to to do everything. And you know, at the end of the day, it's it's surface area of the vein. So I I use a a 2.6 inch low profile vein a lot. Um, generally in a three fletch, you know, four of those things, it's it's, it's too much. Uh, I do a helical. Um, I will clock my arrows to figure out which way they're leaving the bow and just do the helical the same way. 
Um, because why not? If it's going to make a difference, I might as well do it. And if it's not, then it might make a difference in my head at least. So um, I've heard of that, Earl. Like I need to do that with my setup. Um, so you shoot a bare shaft and you mark it and you see which way it's twisting coming out of the bow. And then you get the fletchings that correspond that. So how does that work? If it's twisting to the right, do you use a right fletch or do you use a left fletch? Right, right fletch. So you could do it like stand, you know, just far enough. So the arrow leaves your bow before it hits the target. Um, and that'll tell you which direction it's it's spinning, um, spinning to the right. Use that right helical. If spinning to the left, use the left. Um, honestly, I don't know how big of a difference it makes, but it, it, it makes sense to me to to see what it's doing and to to help it spin in the direction it wants to. Generally, it's going to be dependent on the direction that your string is twisted when it's when it's made uh, that will affect that. So um, I will do that. Um, I do like a small vein in a four fletch. That's generally my most commonly used uh, vein configuration since I am shooting shooting mechanicals a lot. Um, I've tried the really small guys, like a 1.8 inch low profile in a four fletch, and it's it's great for for long distance stuff for shooting in the wind. It's you can't beat it for that. But if you throw a fixed blade on there, it's just it's not enough. It's not going to give you that steering that you want. So I, I kind of like that. You know, my favorite setup so far has been a 2.3 inch vein that's a low profile in a four fletch um, with only offset and not helical. And I do, you know, two degrees of offset, so not a ton, but um, that will help keep that velocity up. And it's it's a real real versatile setup as far as you know, a lighter arrow with a mechanical head for, for longer stuff in the wind. You know, that's, that's my antelope arrow is, is that four fletch with a little bit of offset and a low profile vein. Yeah, that makes good sense. Yeah. I've only had the, the one, I bought a Bitsen burger and then got a left helical fletch, I believe, you know, the problem with the left helical is your, it, every time it hits the targets, it's loosening your points. Like yeah, it's spinning yeah. away from your points. That's the one thing I don't like about it. I, I don't shoot too many animals where the broadhead comes off or anything like that, but that would be a case for right. But I only have a left, and so uh, I'm not even sure how my arrows are spinning leaving the bow, but um, I'm definitely going to take a look at that uh, in the future. Yeah, it sounds uh, – your your description of fletchings is perfect. Um, I love that, like a four, two-inch low profile, and I started – messing with a smaller profile vein this year and shot really good at distance like you're saying field points but just the minute i you know expandables still fly pretty good but starting to get a little finicky and then you know fixed blades just not getting the accuracy that i need or the steering i need to correct it in windy conditions and things of that nature so yeah i'm back to my old go-to which is the flex fletch two inch uh really like those ones but yeah somewhere in between two to three inch and i want to find a fletching that's gonna fly you know my field points really good group really good good uh, uh aerodynamics or good in wind drift uh and then and then also uh, find enough steering where I can shoot the mechanicals or the fixed blades out of them and find accuracy. So, yeah, you described that perfect. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, 90% of the arrows that we see get built in the shop are with the AAE Max Stealths, um, which is a 2.6-inch low-profile vein. They're super quiet. Um, generally, you, do, you don't ever need a four-fletch um, because they are a longer vein. 
but that's just it's a super versatile vein you know you get you get all that steering and i've used them on on everything for for mechanical for fixed blades we see them get used a lot for even you know indoor targets stuff so it's just it's a good vein they're they're super quiet um but you do have to use their the system with the the wipe and the pen and the glue um but I will tell you, I've I've never pulled one of those things off on my arrow, so adhesion is really really good with you use the whole system. Huh. And those are the AAE veins you were talking about? Yeah, Max Elf. Okay, just writing that down. I was just saying, I gotta check them out. Max Elf. Okay, cool. Um, well, dude, um, so happy for you and for Cutter and um, just producing some um awesome stabilizers, the best on the market, and uh. I, I really feel like it's catching on and guys are seeing the benefit from using these longer staves, using the carbon fiber so you're getting more weight, more leverage out front like you described. Uh, you guys have your sidebar bracket that you just came out with. Uh, I know you've been working so hard on that in the R&D and now finally launching a super streamlined sidebar mount, quick disconnect. Uh, that's going to be amazing. You got your bars in all different lengths, and um, I'm scared to try the 20 because I'm afraid it'll aim too good for me. Uh, but uh, uh, all different lengths to fit your setup, and then uh, the weights as well, and uh, just building a great product, and I couldn't be happier for you to see you succeed, Earl. Yeah, for sure, Brian. I appreciate it. And we got a lot of cool stuff that came out this year. We launched the, the Target Bars in January, and, and those have done pretty well for us to – to kind of cater to that other side and you know i've had to really rely on my team for that because i'm I'm not a target archer by any means so I've, I've had to really rely on on our guys that are that are out there competing and doing the tournaments to to give me feedback there but uh yeah i mean this this bracket is cool man and it's you know we got the pre-order up now they should be shipping out late may but uh, i think it's it's going to be it's going to be a really awesome product and just based off of what we've seen from testing it's it's tough to beat you know that that front qd the ability to store your bar vertically it's it's a lot nicer than you might even think you know if, if you're hiking in you can stick your bar on your bow instead of you know having a kick around in your backpack or fall out of the side pocket of your pack or even in your case you know banging around in your case especially if you're flying you know keeping everything secure and and tighten in one piece becomes more important when you see how aggressively the people handle your stuff when they throw it on the airplane. So just keeping it all together is, is a lot nicer than you might even think. Dude, I can't wait. Uh, I'm going to take it with me. I've got a trip in Hawaii and you're right. Like, uh, it's, it's not a myth about those guys throwing your stuff around. Those guys are violent with your bags. As you sit on the airplane and you look out and watch them throw your stuff around, it's like, uh, 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 you, you better have a bomb proof case, but it is nice to keep everything. Like I see what you're saying about that quick disconnect on the front and being able to store that stabilizer because it's nice not to have to take your whole bow apart and put it all back together to fly. Because we spend so much fine tuning, I just don't like to be moving things. Like even quick disconnect or like a uh, like my sight, I don't like to pull that out of the. You know, even though it's got a nipple in a spot where you screw it down tight, I still just don't like to pull it out and re put it on. I like to keep everything connected. But yeah, man, you guys are are producing great stuff. What's the website? Uh, uh, you run a great social media account. Uh, what's that? And where can people follow you? So the website is cutterstabilizers.com. 
Uh, we're on Instagram at Cutter Stabilizers Official. We also have our tech tip page, um, Cutter Stabilizers Tech Tips, um, which we try to try to post some good, useful stuff as far as equipment, um, technique, uh, hunting stuff, all, all that kind of kind of good stuff is is on that. And then um, we're on Facebook at uh, Cutter Stabilizers LLC. Right on, man. Um... Well, you're the you're the best man. I hope you get even on that big antelope this season, and um, we'll definitely keep in touch. And I'll be on the lookout for that new bracket. I can't wait. I've got one of the older versions, so I can't wait to see the finished product and how it came out. Uh, but uh, just awesome, Earl. Um, great job, and and keep up the good work. Awesome, Brian. I appreciate you. Good luck to you too this season. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Thanks again to Earl. So knowledgeable about those archery setups. Uh, I just love those in-depth conversations with somebody that's really knowledgeable and uh, plays with not only his archery setups, but other guys' archery setups to find what's working best. So a uh, great conversation. Uh, also, thanks to Vector Customeros. New sponsor for Eastman's Elevated. Been messing with these arrows for a few months and excited to use them this season. So uh, you can check them out. You just enter all your components in there on their site, and uh, they'll get some shipped out to you. And um, thanks to Eastman's for their support uh, for the podcast and um, for the writing and filming and everything I I do. You know, it's um, they're just a, a great company and happy to be partnered with them. And um, thanks to you guys. Uh, for the support of the podcast, uh, gosh, I, I'm just uh, I'm so humbled by the support. Uh, you guys um, uh, continue to share the podcast, to listen to it, to tell your friends, and I just want to put out uh, the absolute best information, best podcast out there. Um, gosh, we've been doing it seven years now, which is crazy. Uh, started it in my basement seven years ago. Well, I'm still in my basement, but yeah, it's uh, uh, it's came a long ways as far as listenership and uh, as far as uh, quality content. Uh, as the longer we do things, the better we get at them. So I uh, just want to continue to bring you these next level conversations and hopefully help you out for this hunting season. So going to continue to work away on that. And um, yeah, it's, uh, life's just busy here where I'm at. I'm um, uh, Barney Construction is going full tilt, so um, building some nice homes and, um, gosh, keeping me busy. I'm going to do I'm doing a personal home this year, so um, getting going on that. In fact, I dug it yesterday, so um, that'll eat up uh, some of my free time for sure, but uh, still going to um, take my time for hunting season and do this house just a little bit more strategic where I don't grind myself into the dirt, uh, but it'll be fun. I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm just fortunate to have the opportunity fortunate to have the opportunity to build some of these homes for clients so um we're keep we're keeping busy running here there and everywhere which is good so um with that getting all my applications in in fact i'm gonna get uh this podcast out to you guys and um then i've got to get another app in uh, montana deadline here is friday i think i've got my my total plan for um, Montana and then some more deadlines coming up. I know Colorado's coming up, Nevada's coming up, so we'll make sure to get my apps in there and um, see if I can draw some sick adventures for this season. So um, that's what I'm working on. Uh, still going to continue, like even being so busy, is getting in my training, getting in my shooting, messing with my bow, which is really like this 
this um, personal time for me where uh, I get to focus on my archery and focus on my shooting. So still making sure I'm taking that time each and every day, continuing to uh, run and work out, upper body fitness, just feeling great shape, just been ripping lately. And uh, going to continue to um, uh, work on that, make sure I'm ready here for season. So um, it's going to be a fun year. So thanks, you guys, for all the support. I appreciate you. And with that, I'll check in with you next week.